Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Rob. My name is Rob, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Rob. And David, would you would you let me know when 30 minutes has passed? I will wrap up then and, and leave some time for questions. So, I am a compulsive overeater who has recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I say that very purposely. I use the term recovered past tense, not to mean that I am cured by any means, but I repeat what's written in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the very first sentence of the forward to the first edition. They say there's a hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, That means that my disease is manageable on a daily basis if I do the right things, and that uh, basically the management is a spiritual management. Um, just like certain medical diseases have medical management and certain mental diseases have a psychological management, my disease has a spiritual management. And uh, each day I get a reprieve from this disease um, contingent on maintaining my spiritual condition. That's also in the book. I'm going to actually be referencing this book a lot. For those at home, I'm holding up a blue uh, paperback book. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous. We call it the big book. Uh, or it's known as the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's great, uh, I endorse all the OA literature. I own it. I read it. There's some wonderful OA literature. Um, I actually revere this book because by following in the instructions in this book, I, I actually recovered. And this is remarkable because this is a book written by alcoholics for alcoholics to recover from alcoholism. And uh, I won't talk much about outside stuff other than to tell you I'm not an alcoholic. And yet somehow I recovered using this book. How is that possible? Because I found out there's really no difference between myself and alcoholics, except the symptom of my disease is a little different. The addiction, overeating, food addiction, is a little bit different than alcoholism. But the underlying cause, spiritual malady, is basically the same. And I also have a defect of the body, and I have a defect of the mind, again, that manifests a little bit differently. I have some pictures as well that I will pass around for folks here in the room. Of course, these will be scanned and and uploaded digitally later to the the Internet. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, So I'll I'll tell you a little bit what it's like, what it was like, and what happened. I, I had the privilege of speaking at this meeting a little over a year ago. And at that time, I had about a year and a half of continued abstinence, and now it's a little over two and a half years, um, and I've maintained a healthy body weight during that time. Um, But a lot of other things have changed. I've I've felt a lot of spiritual growth and spiritual progress. I think I had 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 a spiritual awakening, you know, when I was here a year ago, but I think that it's grown, it's increased, it's improved. My life just continues to get better. And that's something that I, I, I think I can state with great confidence and faith to anyone who's new or anyone who's not new, who's, you know, struggling. Or, it just seems to keep getting better. 
That doesn't mean every day is always better than the last day. There's good days, there's bad days. But overall, over time, life just keeps getting better. And it just seems that, you know, that's beyond my perception or conception. So I can't predict how things are going to get better. But when I look back, you know, I always realize I'm in a better place overall than I was before, no matter how much time goes by. So that's really amazing, too. It's another gift for this program. Um, let me say my, my abstinence, uh, I state my abstinence just by the OA definition of abstinence. So I refrain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working toward or maintaining a healthy body weight. As far as I'm concerned, every other rule and boundary and definition is my plan of eating or my action plan, but my abstinence is what always says abstinence is. That's, that, that's how I look at it. So, so I've been, uh, so I, I believe I've been a compulsive eater almost my entire life. I've always, I was always overweight, even as a small child. Um, I was, I was uh, told from a very small age that I was overweight, and, and obviously, uh, maybe if not told directly, it was indicated that that's not very acceptable. So, uh, of course, a lot of psychological self-beliefs about myself came, out, came up as well from a young age because I was overweight and I was told that that's not really acceptable. Even if I wasn't exactly told that, it was demonstrated to me. So I've been a dieter since I was a child, and I've dieted very well. I lost weight many, many times. I lost large amounts of weight. I've lost over 100 pounds more than once on diets. So that sort of goes to show that this is uh, this problem, this disease, is not a matter of lack of will. I have great willpower, as many of us probably do, and I can demonstrate it for certain amounts of time when it comes to uh, when it comes to dieting. But ultimately, I am powerless over food. It's the step one states. So ultimately, my willpower is going to fail. That's not the solution to this disease, to find more willpower. And my attempts to always find the right diet is really, were really just for me to find a way to, to harness my willpower successfully. So that was never going to work. No matter how many times I lost weight, no matter how much weight I lost, I ultimately always gained it back. Uh, and, and then some. So clearly that was a vicious cycle I had to get, get away from. Um, I found... These, these rooms, OA, about six years ago. Actually, no, that's not true. I, I became a member of OA about six years ago. I found these rooms about 26 years ago. <laughs> because it, at one point of desperation, not knowing what to do next, about 20 years ago, I went to a meeting. Actually, my dad brought me to a meeting. My dad was a compulsive overeater. My dad died from being a compulsive overeater. He died from heart disease at a very young age, 40, uh, sorry, 59. He had his first heart attack when he was like 40s. He died at like 59, I think. So he died very prematurely because he was a compulsive overeater in part. Um, he brought me, I was home from college one summer, and he said, hey, let's go to this meeting. Neither of us had ever been to the OA. So we both went to this OA meeting, and we heard this remarkable woman who'd lost several hundred pounds and kept it off for a number of years talk about her recovery, and we, we both found it remarkable. The only thing that we didn't particularly like was there was all this talk about God, and that's not why we were there. We were there to lose weight, not to find religion. So I never went back. I don't think he ever went back. We know what happened to him. 
luckily I had another chance. Um, so about 10 years later, I again had probably gone through several cycles of yo-yo dieting. I was, uh, you know, morally at a nadir. I was probably uh, physically at a peak in terms of uh, weight. And I said, I remember this group. Maybe I should try that again. So I found him. I was now in a different city. I was now on the West Coast across the country. But OA is everywhere. So I, uh, I found a meeting, and I went to a meeting. And once again, I found everyone very welcoming. I really enjoyed the meeting. I enjoyed what I heard. The only problem was you were all still talking about God. It's like you hadn't figured it out yet. You hadn't fixed that yet. So you weren't ready for me yet. So, um, so I went away again for another 10 years, about. And then the third time, the third time I went to OA for the first time, I'm happy to say, I'm pleased to say, was the last time I went for the first time. Because I've never, I've never left. I never stopped coming back. I was desperate enough. I guess I hit bottom enough times, or it was a low enough bottom, that I, I knew I needed, I knew I needed this. And I knew nothing else would work. I had done every type of diet, commercial diet, fasting, starving, whatever, you know, I, I, over-exercise, everything. I had tried everything. Medically supervised, you know, you name it. You've, we've all done it. Um, so I was ready, I was ready to stay. And I've stayed for six years. I never stopped coming. Um, after a couple of years of abstinence and a good weight loss, uh, I relapsed. I relapsed for like a year, gained most of my weight back. But I didn't stop coming. That was the one thing I did right during that time. I didn't stop coming. Uh, and after, and I think, I imagine my relapse would have been much more than a year if I'd stopped coming. And I would have gained back, instead of most of the weight I've lost, had lost, I would have gained all back all the weight I'd lost plus, plus extra. But that didn't happen. After about a year, um, I found willingness again to work this, to work the steps and find a sponsor. And that was about two and a half years ago. And I'm with the sponsor I've, I've had, I started with back then. And I've gone through all 12 steps. I've taken those steps. I've had a spiritual awakening that was far stronger than anything that had happened during the first two years because I never really got through the steps. But what a shock that I relapsed, you know. I didn't have a spiritual awakening. I wasn't doing the management. I wasn't, ma- I wasn't taking my medicine, you know. So no wonder I relapsed. But uh, these last two and a half years, uh, said I've, uh, things, have been, things have been wonderful. And I, I, I've, I've even noted myself, you know, the recovery in all three areas. The physical recovery is pretty obvious. I, I weighed 300 pounds at one time, and people will see that in the photos uh, when I came into program, I was about 90 pounds heavier than I am now. So I've been maintaining about a 90-pound weight loss now for pro- probably a year and a half. I've been within the same five-pound range uh, and, you know, pretty fit. I, I exercise a lot. Um, so, you know, I'm able to I enjoy that. I'm able to exercise. I don't over-exercise. I follow a trainer's plan. Like, I turn it over. I'm not in control. You tell me what to do Monday. I do that on Monday. You tell so, you know, it works out well. Um, one thing is uh, I, used to, I used to exercise in order to eat. Now I eat in order to exercise. So I use food as fuel, actually, in a healthy way. And, um, and I eat a lot of food because I exercise a lot. I, I do marathons now. 
and that uh, was always a dream of mine to be able to, you know, to do that kind of uh, activity. Couldn't do that before I found this program, actually. So what I found out, as I said, what I found out is I didn't have, uh, I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't a weak person. I didn't have a lack of will. Um, it wasn't just about trying harder. It wasn't just about, um, you know, being, uh, being more committed. In fact, it's about, trying, it's about trying less to control food. It's more about turning my energies and my efforts towards something else, you know, toward finding, toward finding a higher power that can solve my problem, toward finding God. So, you know, as it explains um, in, the, in the book, in, you know, in the, in the uh, doctor's opinion, there's kind of two, there's two problems inherent to me, and I don't know how I got them. I don't know if I was born with them or they developed or a combination of the two, and it doesn't matter. Absolutely doesn't matter how I got this way. Um, the solution is what matters. But apparently there's something wrong with me physically. I have what, what the doctor in the book calls an allergy, which simply means an abnormal reaction. doesn't mean I get hives necessarily, you know, or my throat closes up. I don't actually have those kind of allergies, although a lot of people do. Um, but I, have a stra- I do have an abnormal reaction when I eat certain things. When I eat certain things, I can't stop eating them. That's the reaction. That's my allergy. It's a strange one. Like I said, I can't explain why I have it. I don't think anyone can explain why I have it. But I've done it enough times. I've tested it. I've researched it enough tens of thousands of times in my life to know I've got it. The second thing is, but see, if that were the only problem, I wouldn't have a problem. Because lots of people have, people have deadly allergies that could kill you like that. Bee stings or, or some food. Peanuts, strawberries, whatever. Let's, you know, I guess that's a great analogy. Someone with a, with a food allergy that has a real anaphylactic reaction to food. That's pretty serious. But yet, they, they don't come to Overeaters Anonymous. They don't come to Peanuts Anonymous. <laughs> Why? Because they don't eat peanuts. They're allergic to peanuts. They don't eat peanuts. Guess what? They have an allergy. They don't have a problem. They just don't eat the peanuts. But yet, the things that cause my allergic reaction, you know, ice cream or pizza, whatever it is, whatever, uh, the things that cause my allergic reaction, I'm compelled to eat them over and over and over. No matter how long I stop eating them, eventually I'm going to go back and eat them again. Well, that's not a physical problem, right? The physical problem would be solved by just not eating it. But I can't not, I can't not eat it. So that's a mental problem. And that's real. That's the real basis of the disease, right? That's what makes this deadly. That's what makes this unstoppable. That's what makes us powerless. Um, not, even if we recognize that we have this allergy, it doesn't matter because our brains don't work right. My brain doesn't work right. Eventually, I'm going to go eat. I'm going to go trigger my allergy again. So that's the problem. That's the problem. And as it describes, you know, again in the book, uh, basically. You know, I know I'm a compulsive overeater because once I start eating, I can't stop. And when I do finally stop, I can't stay stopped. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple definition. Normal people, that's, they don't, they're not like that. That doesn't mean they don't overeat. I think lots of non-compulsive overeaters overeat sometimes, get, gain weight sometimes for whatever celebration, you know, holidays, end of year, wedding, the bar mitzvah, they eat more than they should. But you know what they do when they gain some weight and their pants are tight? 
they eat a little less for the next few weeks or a few months and they lose the weight. I can't do that. I'm not connected. I have no connection to my, you know, size as, as a, you know, as a, as an indicator of how much I should eat. Or I don't even need to have a connection to my hunger as an indicator of what I should eat. I eat for all different reasons. It has nothing to do with hunger. It has nothing to do with appetite. It mainly has to do with escaping, escaping life. That's my. That's how I deal with life. And compulsive overeating has probably. As much as it's damaged me, it's, it's saved my life, too. Because I, there are things in life I don't know how to deal with before I had a higher power. I couldn't deal with them on my own. And uh, that protective bubble or that, num- that numbing or whatever it is that food get, gave me has helped me survive. So I can't be, you know, com- completely, I can't completely hate my disease because it's, it, it's, it was a maladaption, but it was an adaptation that allowed me to survive. Um, but I don't think I need it anymore because I found a different way to survive now, which is so much better and not destructive and very constructive and very positive. And that's a higher power. So, and I never had any spirituality in my life before the 12-step program. This is the only, this is my first 12-step program. I have started another one since then, but this is, this is my first one, and this is my main disease, and this is where I learned about the 12 steps, and this is where I had a spiritual awakening in a way. Um, so, you know, I, I was born in a, with a certain religious tradition that I, that I revolted from and didn't, didn't make sense to me and didn't like it, and I would have uh, probably identified as an atheist for most of my life, although now I see that maybe agnostic is a more appropriate term, but either way, I was not a spiritual person. Uh, and that has completely changed in this program. And I got, I, I developed my spirituality, I developed my relationship with a higher power via the 12 steps. This, that is not the only way to have a spiritual experience. That's not the only way to have a spiritual awakening. The big book says that very clearly. But that's the way the folks in this book obtained it, and that's how they recovered from their malady, and that's how I obtained it, and that's how I recovered from my malady. So, that's the experience that I share with others if uh, when I have the opportunity to do so. I, I think what I'd love to do is um, talk a bit, a bit about what, what I've learned, what, what's happened in the last year since I've been here. Because, as I said, when I had come here, I was working the steps... Uh, with with my sponsor and with others in a work group um, by a particular a particular guidebook, uh, which again is not an OA not an OA approved thing, but but it is a guidebook based on completely from the Big Book. It's working it's working the steps out of the Big Book, by the way, and it was an incredible experience, um, especially to do it with another fo- uh, someone else. We, we were both. My, both of us were, had the same sponsor, and he had us work together and go through the book together and then, of course, check in with him on our progress regularly. Um, I, mean, I call him every day, so it was pretty regular, <laughs> pretty regular check-in. Uh, and that was a remarkable experience, and eventually we got through all the steps, and I, I believe I had a spiritual awakening such as it was, and obviously I've had good results uh, as, as a result of that, um, as the result but since then, um, partly as a function of 
identifying another problem that I wanted to focus on and going to another fellowship, I decided I want to take the steps again. And this time, uh, I still, still did them com- out of the big book, right? But I went to a particular workshop, uh, which uh, someone uh, runs about a year-long workshop, weekly, weekly 12-step big book workshop, not an OA function, but... You know, I, I can talk to people about it after the meeting if they're interested. It's, it's really a, remarkable. But it's a, a workshop that was open to anyone from any denomination, <laughs> any fellowship, basically. Uh, and that was very interesting, too, to study the 12 steps with a room, room full of alcoholics and overeaters and debtors and sex addicts and Al-Anons and all these, all these people. That also was a very interesting and enlightening experience and I think helpful. Um, but I got, uh, again, I got a much deeper understanding of the steps. So, I mean, I recommend always studying them. You know, you, you take the steps. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary to take the steps over and over. I do think you have to, I do believe in continuing to study the steps, though, because I think you get new insight and you learn new things um, every, time, every time you study them. Um, certainly we have to, I think I have to live by, we have to live by the principles of the steps every day. So, for example, I remind myself every morning of steps one, two, and three. I say them in my morning spiritual practice. Um, step ten usually encompasses steps four through nine. So I do, you know, step ten I'm using throughout the day. Step ten is a spot check inventory, which I found incredibly helpful. Uh, step 11 is, you know, your spiritual consciousness with God, relationship with God. Step 12 is, you know, working with others. It's interesting, all three of those, you know, all three aspects of our, of our um, recovery are encompassed in those 10, 11, 12. 10 is basically, you know, maintaining, uh, is about you, is about you remaining kind of spiritually fit, is about, you know, you dealing with the things that block you from God. So kind of your relationship with yourself. Step 11 is about strengthening your relationship with God. Step 12 is about strengthening your relationship with others, with the community, with fellows as well as the community at large. So I think, I believe that's sometimes, why those sometimes are called the maintenance steps and you can live, you know, all your day in steps 10, 11, and 12 once you've had the, had an awakening. Um, so I did these, so, so I wanted to talk about like some of these insights that I've had from my, kind of my second time through the steps. Um, one of the things, and this, I don't know if people know this, uh, I learned a new prayer when I started this workshop. Never heard this prayer in a way. Um, so it seems, it seems to not be customary or traditional in these rooms, but it is common in some other rooms. It's called the set-aside prayer. I'd never heard that. It's very, very simple, but very powerful. So, um, the way I learned it, you know, is, God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself. Uh, my brokenness is the word we use because people all had different diseases, but you can put in whatever your problem is. My brokenness, the 12 steps, and you for an open mind and a new experience with myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and especially you, God. So I say that every morning now, and I say that before I sit down with a book or to do step work, and it, it's amazing it really has a diff- really makes a difference. Never learned that in a way. So you know, I, I think that's something that we should uh, we should embrace really. Um, so I learned that prayer, 
And I think in light of, in the spirit of having an open mind and um, re-exposing myself to the steps and to the book in, in that atmosphere, I had a lot of uh, kind of aha moments. Learned a lot of things I, I hadn't thought of before. The person who uh, facilitates this workshop pointed out um, something in, uh, it's in the chapter We Agnostics, at the end of We Agnostics, chapter 4, uh, on page 57, it talks about a person who had a powerful spiritual experience and immediately had the problem of alcohol lifted from him. And it says, save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink, even if he would. God had restored his sanity. Well, the facilitator of this workshop interpreted that as that it's not a choice. You never have a choice. You're powerless when you're not abstinent. You're powerless when you're abstinent. The difference is when you're abstinent, you are graced by a higher power to be, uh, to be revolted from overeating in some way, to be prevented, to be protected from overeating. Well, I, I balked at that. To use it. It's like, no, that's not how I see it, sir. <laughs> I was powerless before I found a higher power. But now that I have a higher power, God restored me the power of choice. I choose each day not to overeat. I firmly believe that. And then, and then things happened. You know, you, you, you have experiences, and you, you through, this, uh, through this spirit of, of open-mindedness, you're able to see these experiences differently. So it wasn't long after that exchange that I found myself shopping in the, shop, in the supermarket one day. And just like uh, our friend Jim, who had this brilliant sudden idea to pour whiskey in his milk. <laughs> I had this brilliant idea that I wanted to go to the frozen food section that I don't go to, and I wanted to visit some of my old friends. <laughs> I just wanted to visit. I just wanted to see. And the closer my cart got to this aisle, the more I was thinking of a long-term visit, intimate visit. Wouldn't hurt. I've had almost two years of abstinence. I'm cured, basically. A taste isn't going to hurt me. By the time my cart got to my friend's house, <laughs> I decided I was going to I was going to buy something. I was going to take something home. I wasn't going to tell my sponsor about it, certainly. That's for sure, because I commit everything to him, but not this. Well, I was, uh, you know, I had some crazy thinking there, and no explanation for where it came from. I can't identify a great resentment or a terrible fear or just came, just like Jim. So I get to this, uh, so I'm right up, so I get to the compartment, this frozen food compartment, and I'm up there, and I, my face is against the glass, you know, my breath is like, and I'm staring at my friends. And all of a sudden, something, I said, who said, I don't know, I said, no, I don't want this. And I turned away. Now, was that me making a choice? Was that me really demonstrating my recovery, my will, my intelligence? I had to admit it was not. I was as powerless in that moment as I was 10, 20, 30 years ago when I would binge all day, or even three years ago <laughs> when I'd spend all night binging. Um, 
I don't know how it works. I don't know what happened. I don't know where it comes from. But I was protected in that moment. Something turned me away. Something turned me away. I, you know, I'm, I'm not... I don't believe in magic, but maybe, you know... I can't explain it. I'm going to try to explain it. But that's what happened. That's called miracle, I think. I see miracles in my life every day now. Um, that's one of the changes that I've, I... I not, you know, one of my favorite... Uh, my, uh, one of my favorite spiritual leaders, not really, he's not a, Albert Einstein is his name. He's a very spiritual man, but he wasn't a spirit, he's a pretty smart guy, though. Uh, but he had a lot of spiritual quotations related to God. And so, you know, I, I refuse to believe God plays dice with the universe. But anyway, the one I really, really like is, uh, that I found in this, when I was in this program, is Einstein said, there are two ways to live your life. As if everything is a miracle, or as if nothing is a miracle. That's it. And actually, that sounds a lot like something in this book. Either God is or God isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. You decide. You make a choice. I don't know if you read this book or not. Um, but Bill Wilson and, and Albert Einstein, I guess. They were contemporaries. I wonder if they ever met. But at any rate, um, now I, I basically do see everything as a miracle. So, okay, thank you. That's great. Uh, oh, uh, no, I'm not, no, I'm thanking Dave for the time. But I'm going to wrap it up because people may have questions. Um, so I wanted to talk about, Yeah, and you can clap again. When I'm um, but I, I wanted to finish up just again by saying, you know, kind of what, what it's like now. And, and that kind of got me to that. I did want to say every... I do kind of see everything as a spiritual experience now when I'm in a proper spiritual condition. Um, I'll tell you where I'm going in a few days. And, and this, is, this is what I'll wrap up with. This is what it's like now. I'm going on a, a cruise with my family. We're leaving on Monday for a week. And I pitched about this in one of my meetings just a few days ago. I, you know, family of origin uh, has a lot to do with origin of disease. So there's challenges with, you know, I don't know if one boat or one ocean is big enough for us all to be together. Yeah, I'm sharing a stateroom with my mom. I mean, this, you know, we'll, we'll work that out, but that's okay. Um, but it's going to be a beauty. I love, you know, I love my mother and my sister dearly. Just, uh, I think I see them enough. I also love my little niece and nephew to death, and I don't get to see them enough, so I look forward to seeing them. That's a good thing. But there's opportunity to be a service, and I'm sure it'll be a beautiful trip. Um, but, but I pitched about these things I'm worried about, about the cruise, about the relationships and the family and the dynamics, and will there be time for me to take care of myself, to do my prayers, to write my step work, to exercise, to do the things I do to take care of myself. It wasn't until after my three-minute pitch that I realized that I had never once mentioned the food on the cruise. Some people have concerns about that. I hear they give you a lot of food on a cruise. I hear they feed you 24-7 around the clock. It's actually been on a cruise, it's true. And I used to take advantage of that. But the amazing thing is the food is not a problem today didn't even enter my mind. I'm not the least bit concerned about how I'm going to handle the food. I know how to handle that. I, I turn it over. You know, I, I commit my food to my sponsor. I, I, I do a spiritual practice. The problem has been lifted. That's why I say I'm recovered. Not cured, but recovered. The food's not a problem. 
now I can focus on all the other parts of my life that are a problem, you know, relationships, um, relationships at work, relationships with family, relationships with friends. Those are still problems that I have to deal with. They're getting better, but, but the beauty is now I can focus on them. I'm not a slave to the food anymore. In fact, I don't even didn't even think about it, uh, you know, for this for this trip. So that's that's the recovery. That's the beauty. That's the gift um, that I got from coming to OA, from working the twelve steps, from having a spiritual awakening, from developing a relationship with a power greater than myself, and and the gifts just keep on coming every day in little, you know, some, usually little miracles, sometimes big miracles. I honestly think the the promises have come true for me and they continue to come true on a daily basis. So that is where I'll stop and now you can clap for real. <laughs> and I did leave a few minutes for questions, I hope, so I'll take I'll take questions if anyone has them. Okay, so the question is I'm gonna repeat the question. The question is preparing for step nine um, and, and amends. And that's a great uh Thank you for asking that, because I will admit, I have not completed all of my amends on my eight-step lifts. Um, I have, you know, I do it as the willingness comes. And that's really, really, a, there's a key sentence in here um, about, you know, uh, oh, about step, t- I just will say this, said, how can you, how can you finish, one might ask, well, you didn't really take all the steps then, how can you finish the steps if you haven't, you know done all your amends, and on page 84 it says, uh, this thought brings us to step 10, it starts talking about step 10, and it says, we vigorously commence this way of living as, as we cleaned up the past, which means not after we finish cleaning up the past. So you go on with the steps, you know, you go on to step 10 and beyond while you're, while you're cleaning up the past. Um, so, to answer your question directly, I... Uh, I wrote my, you know, I wrote out my A-step list. I went over everyone, each one with my sponsor. Uh, my sponsor eliminated a lot of them, you know, because what I wanted to do was write down everything I did wrong to someone. And that's not what step eight and nine is about. It's not about you apologizing for everything you ever did wrong. First, you'd never finish, because I've been doing things wrong since I, you know, had the ability to, uh, probably since I was out of my crib. Um, but it's about repairing harm. So the point is, where do you really harm people? So he helped me to see that and eliminated a lot of things on my list. And when we were done, we didn't have a, there wasn't a huge list. Um, at this point, I've probably gotten through about half of them. Um, the big one, uh, you know, a big one that I did was to my mother. Um, my father's, as I said, is, has been deceased a number of years. So at some point, I'm going to have to do some graveside thing with him. That hasn't that opportunity. He's in another state, so that opportunity hasn't really arisen yet, um, or I've been avoiding it. But I will. <laughs> but I look forward to it actually when the time comes. But I did sit down with my mother, and that amends really was kind of an apology for a lifetime of you know not being the best son in the world, or the most attentive son, and that went very well. She accept, you know she understood what I was doing and why I was doing it, and she she appreciated it. Uh, and she's not the easiest woman to get along with, but. It went very well. Every experience I've had, the few that I have done, have always gone well. The most kind of dramatic one was I wanted to make amends for stealing. Uh, from, when I was a kid, I stole a lot of merchandise from a certain store. 
and this is now 35 years ago, but it was on my mind, and it was it was a true you know financial harm, and I wanted to repair it. And this is a store like back in Long Island that closed 25 years ago. And I ended up uh, searching through the internet. I found an old business license for this place and found out who the owner was. I found out the owner was deceased. I found out who the owner's wife, the widow was, who now lives in a different state. I found the contact info for the owner's wife. I called her. I told her what I'd done. I said I wanted to make restitution. She said, that's very kind of you. He said, that's really not necessary. Lots of kids did that to us. But, <laughs> something like that. but I said, well, is there anything I can do, like make a contribution or something? She said, that's a great idea. And so she gave me the name of a charity that she just thought of. And I really appreciated that, that I didn't just choose a charity. She chose it. And I made, you know, a hefty donation, which I think covered the, covered the amount in the, in the dead gentleman's name. And that was a re- that, that was huge in terms of healing me. Um, so that's one of the you know that's sort of the, the, the most dramatic one I've done. But but that's a couple of examples. Thanks. What is my spiritual practice? Every morning uh, I get up. I probably spend maybe about it's only about twenty minutes maybe every. But I try to do it every morning. If I miss it. The day just doesn't feel right. Just don't feel balanced. So I have a number of set prayers that I say. Most of them are from the big book. I do the uh, say the set aside prayer, third step prayer, uh, the St. Francis prayer. um, uh, And now I'm forgetting uh, the name of the most uh, common prayer of all. Isn't that funny? Serenity prayer. Thank you. Seventh step prayer is actually, I think, is very important. And then I, a little bit of kind of free form, a little bit of rock print, a little bit of spoken word to God. No, so, you know, uh, this prayer, you know, just uh, whatever's come up in the day. And then 10 minutes of silent meditation, I time it. I found 10 minutes works for me. I had to work my way up to 10 minutes because that was hard at first. As it does. I started with three minutes and worked my way up. When I got to about 10 minutes, I found it very effective. Um, so that's pretty much what I stick with. And then I, I just always feel really ready to start my day. Um, what I don't do as well at, which is really important, is turning to God throughout the day. When I get flustered with something, it hasn't yet become reflex for me to turn immediately to prayer. Although the 11th step makes it pretty clear that's what we should be doing. Um, so uh, uh, sometimes I falter there, but that's what I try to do. I try to pray whenever I'm upset. What I do do very well is I do uh, a 10th step now throughout the day. I never knew how to do a 10th step. I thought a 10th step, because this is kind of how I, it was set up with my sponsor, I thought a 10th step was, was you know, your nightly review. That's what we call it, and I call them every night and, and go over these this mnemonic about the course of my day. But in the book, that's an eleventh. That's the eleventh step, actually, nightly review. Now, I won't tell him that. <laughs> but I, but the tenth step is is throughout the day is a spot checking. Whenever you're whenever you're upset, right? You uh, we're done. Pretty well. All right, I'll finish it. But it's on uh, again. I think it's on eighty five or eighty four. It's really worth reviewing. Yeah, eighty four. You know, it's very simple, but it's very effective. I've been using it very, very regularly. So, you know, just look for whenever you're resentful, fearful, um, selfish, dishonest. When you recognize that, 
You act immediately. You don't wait to call your sponsor at night to tell him how things went during the day. You know, immediately, you, you, tell, you talk to someone about it. You pray to God to have the problem removed. You make any amends that you, that you may need to make. Um, and then you turn your thoughts to how you, help to he- how you can help others. It doesn't even say help others. It just says turn your thoughts to how you help others. That, is, that can be, a, you may or may not have an opportunity right then, right, to, to, to help someone. But you can certainly start thinking about others and get out of your self-centeredness. So that's, uh, that, that's kind of my spiritual practice. And I do believe we're out of time now. Thank you very much. Thank you.